Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Oh, Grace Bible, who do you say that this Jesus is? So that there was no room for doubt or guessing, God revealed Jesus to us in his word with such clarity and such beauty and such majesty. The whole Old Testament points to him. The gospels reveal him. And all the epistles after that remind us of who we are as a result of everything that he's done for us. A new identity in Christ. A new way of thinking and living and being to the glory of God on our journey. And if you were here with us last week, uh, you were a part of one of the more emotional days of Jesus's journey um, on earth. The pendulum swung up and down and left and right from crowds pressing in on him, wanting something from him, to having to silence demons, to appointing his 12 apostles, to his own family calling him crazy, to the religious claiming that he was demon-possessed, To the point where he even proclaimed the shocking truth that his biological family was not necessarily a part of his family, but only those who did the will of the Father. What a day in the life of Jesus and his ministry. And I would encourage you, as I oftentimes do, for us to really understand who this Jesus is and what this means for our everyday life and just the magnitude and the majesty of 100% God and yet the reality of 100% man walking the face of this earth in this world that's 100% mess, like we got to take our Sunday school glasses off so we can take a right look at Jesus. So we can really see him for who he is. We can really understand his word for what he meant by it. And today we're going to get into a conversation as Jesus has been doing lots of miracles and that has been drawing a big crowd, as you might imagine. A crowd so big, in fact, that just yesterday Jesus had to have an escape boat ready to go just in case the crowd got too big and was pressing in on him. But as I mentioned before, in all the miracles that Jesus has done, you've heard this week after week, every miracle that Jesus ever did then and every miracle that Jesus ever does now is never about the miracle itself. Never has been, never will be. He doesn't do miracles just for the sake of miracles. Every miracle ever was meant to point to the miracle maker. Every one of them. And obviously his popularity is going off the charts. His celebrity status is reaching new heights to the point where he's having to have an escape boat on standby. But on this particular day, once we get to chapter 4, today is not about miracles at all. It's just strictly about mission. Jesus is going to declare to this massive crowd of people what I believe to be the parable of all parables. It's the parable that sets the groundwork and the framework for every other teaching that Jesus was going to have in the days to come in his ministry. And that brings us to the beginning of chapter 4. And he began to teach beside the sea because a very large crowd had gathered about him so that he got in a boat and sat in it. Remember the escape boat we were talking about? He didn't use it as a getaway boat in this particular situation. There were so many people that showed up on the seashore that day to be near him, to touch him, hoping for a miracle, hoping to see a miracle. But this day wasn't about miracle working. This day was about the message of the kingdom. And so Jesus got in the boat so nobody could actually reach him. 
and he begins to preach from the boat to the massive crowd of people that showed up. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Say parables. Now, the best explanation of what a parable is that I've ever heard is the one I grew up with. My old country preacher used to say a parable is, uh, does anybody know where I'm going with this? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. There you go. That's the best way I know how to describe it. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So you'll oftentimes see Jesus teach in parables, telling stories of what would be relative to the people at the time. He oftentimes uses agriculture stories because many of the people worked in agriculture. We can identify with that in this community. And so he would tell a story of earthly, kind of a earthly metaphors, but it was meaning kingdom of heaven kind of stuff. And only those who had an ear to hear would understand what Jesus meant by these parables. And so he was teaching them in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, verse 3, here's the parable of the moment. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. I want you to picture a farmer just scattering seed as he's going about and seeds landing everywhere. He's just throwing it, getting it wherever it'll go. A a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it, and other seed fell along the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. Immediately it sprung up, and since it had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it just withered away. And then other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and yet it yielded no grain, and then yet other seeds fell into good soil. Say good soil. Good soil, and it produced grain growing up and increasing a yield, just like Jess talked about, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears, Grace Bible, let him hear. What in the world does that mean, this parable? I mean, some of you have grown up and you've heard it before. Some of you, this is your first time ever hearing it. And so you're a great test case for this. Like, what in the world does that mean? It's almost like a riddle. Like it doesn't have any like clear, distinct meaning for the life of anybody that was listening. Wouldn't Jesus want to just be crystal clear? I mean, he's got a massive crowd, you know? Like wouldn't he just want to say, hey, the kingdom of heaven is just like this. Repent, be baptized, trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. Like wouldn't he want to just be crystal clear, but instead he begins to speak in these parables? As a matter of fact, 35% of Jesus' ministry was him teaching in parables, telling stories, giving these like heavenly riddles that we're going to leave half the people, if not most of the people, confused at what in the world he meant by this. This is why Mark goes on to say in verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. It wasn't just the 12 apostles wondering. I'm sure most of the folks like, what did you mean by that? And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, he quotes Isaiah chapter six, they may indeed see but not perceive and they may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. In other words, Jesus quotes a passage from Isaiah when God comes to Isaiah and says, hey, I want you to be faithful in teaching the word of God, but newsflash, most of the people aren't going to listen to you. The same is true of Jesus right now. You continue to teach the truths of the word of God and most of the people aren't going to listen to you. That's why Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. The same is true of Isaiah then and then Jesus then is the same is true of us this morning. 
I'm going to continue to declare the word of God, and most of y'all ain't going to listen. He who has ears, let him hear. And Jesus tells this story of the soils as a parable, and oftentimes spoken parables, in order that, as Pastor Cameron often says, I learned this from him, I learned a lot from him, he says, Jesus taught in parables in order to reveal and conceal the gospel and the word of God. Huh? That's just confusing, Jesus. Like, let's just reveal. Why conceal, too? In order to reveal and conceal the word of God. This is why. Anytime the word of God is declared, and this is where this parable is getting at for us, anytime, right now, in an immediate and instantaneous fashion, anytime that the word of God is declared, it instantaneously reveals what the condition of the soil of our heart is. And so Jesus often spoke in parables to reveal to those who had an ear to hear and to conceal for those who were saying, that doesn't make any sense. Someone who has an ear to hear and a heart for the Lord and a longing for relationship with him, when he says these things, they lean in and say, Lord, that doesn't make sense, but I want to know more. Lord, this doesn't make sense, but show me your glory in this thing. Reveal yourself to me in this hardship and this tragedy and this riddle that's happening in my life. He who has an ear is leaning to hear, Lord, what's going on? I want to know more. I'm trusting in you. I'm leaning. But Jesus often spoke in parables to conceal the truth as well so that those were like, ah, oh, that doesn't even make any sense, and they start to lean away. God, I don't know what you're doing, so you can't be trusted. God, what you're saying doesn't make sense, so I'm just going to start walking the other direction to reveal and conceal, to instantaneously reveal the soil of our heart. And this is why Jesus goes on to explain to the disciples exactly what this soil was in verse 13. He says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Now listen, the sower sows the word. Let's talk about the sower before we get into the soil. This, this parable is often called the parable of the sower. A, a better designation is probably the parable of the soils. But let's get into explaining what the sower is. Who's the sower here? All right. Jesus, pretty safe answer. Best Sunday school answer I've ever known. The sower is Jesus, but by extension, anyone who also bears the mantle of disciple and Christ's follow, who's walking in the calling of recognizing that we've all been called to be scatterers of the seed. We've all been called to make disciples everywhere that we live, work, and play. From con construction guys to prison wardens. Everywhere you've been put, school teachers, stay-at-home mamas, as neighbors, as co-workers, walking in the same grocery line, getting the same checkout clerk, on mission all the time, everywhere we live, work, and play. And so the sower is Jesus, and by extension, Jesus' people who are continuing to declare that which Jesus declared, which leaves the question, well, then what is the seed? Really good advice? Good practical wisdom. The latest political news with a few Bible verses hung on it. No. Nah. The Word of God. The Word of God. And just the Word of God. No side dishes necessary, just the Word of God, the main course. 
And he says, the sower sows the word. And verse 15, he begins to reveal the soils. And these are the ones that fell along the path. Say the path. These are the ones that fell along the path where the word is sown when they hear. And then Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Listen, Grace Bible, a couple things I hope to accomplish today. I'm hoping that in this revelation of this parable of Jesus that we do some self-examination. He who has ears, let him hear. We do some self-examination. And we are also encouraged to trust in the life of Jesus that is at work in us all the time for whosoever believes in him as Jesus, as King and Lord. Self-examination and encouragement for the journey. Jesus reveals to us what the first condition of the soil was, the first place, one of the four places that the seed would land, and he says, on the path. Now, just so you know, in ancient Palestine, the farmland that they had was like long, thin strips of farmland, and in between all those thin strips would have been the path. Paths where the farmers and the horses and the buggies would just frantically be running up and down all throughout the day doing the work of farming. And after there's a lot of traffic on a particular patch of real estate, eventually that which might have been soft soil has now been beat down for generations to the point that it's like concrete. Concrete because of the frantic busyness of the farming. That's exactly what the analogy of the path is meant to point us to as a believer. This is the path, the person with the hardened heart. Now these paths represent the hardened heart of those that hear God's word, but their hearts are so hardened from their own busyness of life that God's word doesn't even stir you in the least when you hear it. Life has become nothing more than the next project, the next paycheck, the next trip to the salon, the next football game, the next cold beverage. Don't get me wrong. There may not be any gross sin present, there's just no room in your heart for the voice of God because life is just too crowded with other things. I wonder if anyone, I know you're here, I know you're listening, but I wonder if you are among the ones that have the hardened path of your heart, the hard heart, much like the path Jesus spoke about. Now, some with the hard heart may be hostile to the gospel, some of them may be, but honestly, most of you are just relatively disinterested. Obviously, you're getting the seed. The word's getting delivered to you, so heck, maybe you're even sitting in church every Sunday. Maybe you're even in a small group. Word's getting delivered. It just ain't landing because man, your schedule's too tight, you're too busy, you've got too many other important priorities in your life for the word of God to really take root, and it just doesn't move you when you hear the word of God, the words of God declared. Don't get me wrong, every now and then, seed will blow around on your surface from time to time, but all it really takes is the next travel ball tournament, the next string of gossip, the next fishing trip, and before you know it, old Satan himself swoops in, chirping proudly, and snatches that seed away. That's all it takes, the hardened path. I wonder, is there anyone listening in this morning whose heart has become the hardened path? You've already been checking your text messages and your emails, and you're thinking about the next thing on your calendar, and it doesn't, your heart doesn't even pause when the Word of God gets opened. As a matter of fact, 
you may be one of the ones that wants me to hurry up and finish reading the Word of God so that I can get to telling stories and stuff, the entertainment that you like, because you're unmoved by the Word of God. Is that you? Are you listening in this morning? He who has ears, let him hear. The tricky thing about this particular type of soil is you can throw all the seed at it you want, and it's not going to change the soil. The only way this soil can change is if the farmer himself comes in and plows it up to restore life to the soil again. And I don't know if you've ever had to break up hard ground before, but it's a painful process, isn't it? Dr. Kent Hughes put it like this. He says, often the plowing that is needed is some pain or some stress or some trial to soften the hardened surface to the relevancy of God's truth. And this is how it came in some of our lives, isn't it, Grace Bible? I think some of us can testify. Been there, done that. Been plowed up a time or three before. Yes, sir. But it's life's hardships that made us ready. C.S. Lewis put it like this. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of man. Isn't that sweet? Difficulties made us quit our busyness, and then the Word of God fell powerfully into the fertile soil of our life. But it took pain to get us there, didn't it? I say that for two reasons. Um, In part, uh, for the person this morning that's listening in that needs to be warned by the Word of God, who now sees that their heart is the hardened path because you're just all in a roundabout way, just kind of disinterested in the Word of God. You have no time. You never spend any personal time in the Word of God. Church is like one of those boxes that you check or a thing you did online because, you know, the cute girl invited you over this morning to watch church online with her. So y'all can snuggle up on the couch. Y'all move to the other side of the couch, would you? I issue it as a warning and ask God to make our ears here. Because I want you to run hard and fast after Jesus. I want your life to be transformed by him. But I can tell you, just as I mentioned in this little bumper video, it is the love of God to, to at times bring uninvited chaos into our lives so that he can plow up the ground of the soil of our heart to transform us. He's that committed to you. He's that committed to you. I say that as a warning in one part I say that as an encouragement in another part because I bet there is somebody this morning that is living through a plowing season and it is it's rough. And you may have been wondering, Lord, where are you? And how could this be? And why would you let this happen to me if you loved me the way you said you did? And I want you to know it's the love of God to plow up that ground to make the most fertile, flush soil for the word of God to take root and transform you from the inside out. Trust in his work. Trust in his timing. Trust the process, Grace Bible. It's the farmer of heaven at work in your story. And that's good news. That's just the first type of soil, but there's more. Verse 6, there are the ones sown in the rocky ground. Say rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, but they endure it for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they 
fall away. This rocky soil speaks to the shallow heart. Understand, Jesus wasn't speaking to fertile soil that had rocks in it. He was speaking in ancient Palestinian terms of where most of their geography in that particular area is limestone with just a few inches of soil on top of it. What happens if you plant seeds when there's shallow soil? There's just not enough place for the roots to run, to grow deep, to be strong. The shallow soil oftentimes finds its way into the life of the hearer of the one who heard the word, received it with joy, but yet it didn't last long. It didn't take much wind blowing in their life to push them away from God again. This shallow soil, this rocky soil speaks to that shallow emotional response to the gospel. After the summer camp, after the really awesome concert after the powerful sermon or after sitting in a prison cell. That'll make you real Jesus-y real quick. I said Jesus-y, that's right. (laughs) Something happened in your life, some catalyst moment. It really sparked this deep longing in you for a hero, for a savior of the day. You realized it was Jesus, and in an excited emotional response, you decided to run after him, but it took like Next, the, the, as soon as the blows of life started coming your way, that root quickly dried up. What was quickly blossoming in your life quickly shriveled up. Maybe life didn't go the way you had hoped. God didn't answer a prayer in the way that you had expected him to. Maybe folks were making fun of you for this change in your life. Whatever it was, It caused you to lose hope, to lose faith, and just as quickly as you started to grow, you shriveled up. Too many people have come to a place of tasting the power of God, but yet never experiencing true conversion. Let me say that again. Too many people have come to a place of tasting the power of God, but yet never come into a place of true transformation and conversion in their life. I believe that this is where many enemies of the faith come from. Most of the folks that are trying to burn Christianity to the ground or don't like church people or the people of God, like, it wasn't that they always felt that way. Maybe it was because they were one of these that had rocky soil, just a shallow soil of the heart. Something really powerful happened. They tasted the power of God in some really fresh way to them, and it drew them towards him. It piqued their curiosity. It grew a big excitement in them, and they started to walk towards Jesus, and then all the self-generated expectations of God, that, because they didn't know him yet, and so they started heaping their own expectations of God, on God, and He didn't meet what they were expecting or maybe they heaped their expectations on Christian people and those Christian people dropped the ball and and now they're bitter and hurt and angry and running hard and fast the other direction. You know, Jesus had a disciple that in the early days of being a disciple, he got really excited about following Jesus, so Jesus tried to cool his jets a little bit. In Luke chapter 9, Luke doesn't mention who the disciple was, probably Peter, because this was kind of his M.O. 
He tells Jesus, I'm going to follow you no matter what. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I'm going to be with you always. And Jesus' response to him wasn't, man, that's awesome. I'm so glad to have you on the team. Let's get you signed up to lead something. You know, Jesus turns to him and responds to that enthusiasm and that excitement and that youthful energy. And he says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That was Jesus' response to the enthusiasm of the disciple. Yeah, walking with Jesus, it is beautiful and it is powerful and it is extraordinary and it is wonderful. But it is hard and it is costly and it is taxing and it is heartbreaking. Because following Jesus is not an emotional ascent. It's not an intellectual ascent of knowledge and understanding. It's a whole person. Surrender. It's every bit of us, body, soul, and spirit, laid down before Jesus as Lord and King, trusting him along the journey through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Verse 18 and 19, he goes on to tell us about another kind of soil, and others are the ones sown among the thorns. Say the thorns. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves to be unfruitful in their lives. This person believed in God's word, believed it to be true, but the problem is the word of God never truly captured their heart, never, as an old preacher said one time, never made the 18-inch journey from their head to their heart. In a matter of competing priorities, they seem to kind of sway back and forth between who really was the Lord of their life. Jesus or fill in the blank. Money, the next project, influence, or just self in general. I would say that if you are somebody of the thorny soil, the divided heart, I would say that your relationship with the Lord is probably streaky at best. Times in your life where you're running hard and fast after Jesus, and times in your life where you're running hard and fast after the world. Times in your life where you're inviting Jesus to take the driver's seat, and times in your life where you're telling Jesus to get in the back seat. You get it? Thorny soil, a divided heart, trying to serve two kings and two masters. Dr. Um, Hughes tells a story of a girl uh, that had a young man propose to her. And the young man comes to this young lady and says, I'm so in love with you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I love you more than anything in the world. Isn't that sweet, ladies? And he goes on to tell her, I want to marry you because of how deep and real my love is for you. But I want you to know I'm not rich. I don't have a yacht or a Rolls Royce like Johnny Brown, but I love you with all of my heart, and I want you to marry me to what she thinks for a moment. And then she replies, I love you with all of my heart too. But tell me a little bit more about Johnny Brown. <laughs> this is the person of the thorny heart. I love you with all of my heart, Lord. But tell me what the world can do for me. I love you with all of my heart, Lord. But tell me what the world can do for me. I mean, this is the thorny heart the thorny soil. And Jesus goes as far to say that this isn't real belief. This isn't true commitment to Christ as Lord. This isn't real salvation. Jesus goes on to say in verse 19 that the thorny heart 
those thorns, the constant pursuit of self-gratification in whichever category it is that tickles your fancy eventually chokes out the word and it proves to be unfruitful. I wonder, are you listening in this morning? He who has ears, let him hear. This is why Jesus was so poignant in saying in Mark chapter 8, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll love the one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other, but you can't serve, and Jesus gets very direct, you can't serve both God and money. That's his words, not mine. Do with do with it what you want with it. I imagine if you're pushing back on the truth of what Jesus said and you're trying to rationalize your way around those scriptures that I just quoted to you, you've probably got a thorny soil of a heart. He who has ears, let him hear. And last but not least, but those that were sown on good soil, say good soil, Those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. This is what Jess was talking about. Just how, like, we've seen just the 100-fold work of God in some unsuspected places. And just so you know, in your life, like, good soil isn't something we can just wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be good soil today, God. Man, the winds of life are going to blow. The rains are going to come. You're going to get trampled on, beat up. Hardship's going to come your way. You, you can't make good soil out of you. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. It takes the farmer plowing up the ground, getting off the tractor to just need and care for the soil of your life. Like, listen, no seed ever just becomes a fruitful tree on its own. Only seed that gets planted in the most nourished environments become what it was supposed to be and bear the fruit that it's supposed to bear. Man, it's the life of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit at work in your submitted and surrendered life that is going to constantly nourish good soil in you so that the Word of God is constantly transforming who you are. So that you grow to long for it. So that you want to spend time with the Lord. So that you enjoy meeting with God and His Word and hearing His voice. And it falls on fresh ground and the Lord begins to really reveal himself to you. You'll find a transition happen in your life where you stop looking in the word of God for answers. What does the Bible say about when you start looking at the word of God as the answer? And looking for Jesus in his word that he might reveal himself to you in powerful ways. And then gain the wisdom that you are long for and looking for. Good soil. Good soil that hears and receives the word of God. And in the times where we don't understand what he's saying, what he's doing, why in the world this is happening, you lean in instead of away. When things start getting hard and hardship comes and trials are coming about us, good soil doesn't wander away, but it clings even tighter to the vine. And for those that may find yourself not only in the story of the soils, but may find yourself in the story of the sower, we just heard, a, we just heard testimony this morning of a prison warden who is 
trusting God to sow the word of God through his life all over the place in a very difficult environment. I bet you some of you guys are feeling the burden of sharing the seed, the word of God with people that you love or in your workplace or are around you in your regular rhythms of life. And you're saying, yeah, Dustin, I've tried. Like I'm tr- I've got a loved one that I want to n- see come to know Jesus, but I know that their heart is hardened. The word of God just kind of bounces off of them like the hard path. Or maybe, it's, maybe they hear it and receive it, but their life is thorny and they just have this divided interest all the time. And I can tell they've never really submitted to the Lord. Like These next three parables that if you have in your Bible are going to be homework for you this afternoon. They're very short, but let me just summarize them for you real quick. These next three parables I would refer to as encouragement for the sowing saint. That sounds clever enough, right? Encouragement for the saint who sows. Those of you feeling that burden and walking in that kingdom call and identity that you have to be truth tellers, disciple makers of the word of God. This first parable is the lamp under the basket. And this is Mark summarizing for us through Jesus's words that if you've got the truth of the gospel for crying out loud, don't hide it. Let that little light of yours shine. Let it shine. The world needs to know the truth of the gospel, no matter how difficult the environment. And the second is the parable of the seed that just keeps growing. And this is a reminder from Jesus for you seed scattering saints that You just do the scattering of the seed, like leave the rest up to the Lord. Some mama or some grandmama this morning needs to hear the reality that you cannot change your children or grandchildren. You cannot transform their heart. You cannot get them to bow their heart before Jesus as Lord. There are not words persuasive enough. There is not evangelism strategies clever enough. For every single one of us, it takes the Holy Spirit stepping into our story to plow up the ground of our heart so that the word of God lands. You need to be reminded, he tells us, Jesus says the parable of the seed growing, that he says the seeds that are planted in the word of God, they grow overnight even while you're sleeping. You didn't do anything to make it grow. You just were faithful in scattering. And the Lord did the rest. He, in fact, is the Lord of the harvest, believe it or not. He's the one that makes it grow. And last but not least, the parable of the mustard seed and the mustard tree is a reminder, O Grace Bible, as we are learning to live on mission together, that parable reminds us that even the smallest seeds scattered can become some of the biggest trees in a garden. The mustard seed is the smallest seed that would have been planted in that culture at that particular time, but the mustard tree grew to be the biggest shrub of the garden. And this is just a reminder to me, and I want to remind to you, you seed-scattering saints out there, like even these microscopic gospel deposits that the Lord is making in through your life. It's not easily measurable. Nobody may have ever handed you a microphone and put you on a stage to declare the gospel to a large crowd of people. Maybe it's just you making microscopic gospel deposits in the life of the person in the cubicle next to you. You need to know. Scripture tells the word of God will not return void. And a seed of word of God planted is only growth that he can create. And he's going to do more with that than you could ever ask or imagine. You just be faithful with the scattering of the seed, oh seed scattering saint. Say that five times fast. I'm not even going to try, but I am going to pray for you. Let's do it. God, I, I know that all four soils are present here today. 
And I know that some of the hardest hearts may be some of the people with the best church attendance. And some of the most fertile soil may be somebody here who stumbled in here this morning. Life in complete chaos. Addiction off the charts. God, I know that it's all here. And I'm asking, I'm just begging that your Holy Spirit would do what you have always done and promised that you would always do. Just capture our hearts. Give us a measure of faith that is so raw and real and profound that everyone in this room this morning, everyone listen online, bows their heart before Jesus is king. Lord, that you would make good soil out of our hearts, that the word of God would land often and always and transform us while we are going, that we would be faithful farmers who scatter seed. No matter where the seed may land, we'll just trust you with the outcome of it. Father, have your way in us. I pray that the revival that's happening at the prison would take root in such a way that it sparks revival in churches. I would love to see real revival start in a prison and find its way into churches because Lord knows we need it. And I see the fertile soil of a couple hundred inmates that are inviting the Lord to plow up the ground of their heart and allowing the word of God to transform them. Lord, would you do the same thing with us? The hardened path, churchy people that we have become. Would you do the same thing with us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.